Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Mindfulness Podcast. It's me, your guide here, Rebecca, and today I have Traver Boehm. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hello. You're so welcome. Well, before we dive in here, I'm going to read just a little bit about you. So we got Traver Boehm is the author of the books Today I Rise and Man Uncivilized. He's a two-time TEDx speaker, men's coach, and the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement. He's helped men all over the world to become uncivilized as they wake up to the power of their hearts, the brilliance of their bodies, and the wisdom of their souls so they can blaze their own path by uniquely blending both the primal and the divine within them. He is dedicated to doing his part to help end the suffering in men and the suffering caused by men by guiding them through their own journey into an actualized version of masculinity. Mm. Woof. Thank mm. you so much for being here. All of that. And there's so much more than just that. Like that's such a like typical cliff note version of you know, who you are. But right away, so welcome officially. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. There's just so much to go into into this conversation. And I do want to start with this whole uncivilized mm. man thing. Like man mm. uncivilizes your book. So how do you describe yeah. that to people listening? You know, this is where it came from, Rebecca. I was living in Brooklyn uh, in 2017, I think, 17 or 18. And it was right in the heart of Me Too. And so it, that was in my mind. That was on the on the news every morning. That was on social media. And I'm super grateful for it. And yet I continuously remember reading article after article after article after article about like men are broken, the boys are broken, men are bad, things aren't good with masculinity, masculinity is toxic, yeah, like every possible combination of that. And I would get to the end of each article and look for the, and this is what we do about it, peace. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And so it wasn't this like, oh, I'll do this. I had four other things on my to-do list in life and I think the fourth was, I remember having a business coach at the time and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I finish these three, um, I may want to do some work with men. And he, was, he encouraged me to just play with it. And so I decided to throw a men's gathering. Like we lived in this brilliant apartment complex. It was like hundreds of units, like celebrities live there, famous athletes live there. And they had this awesome um, conference room that you could just use for free. So I threw out the idea of like, hey, free men's gathering. Let's just get together. Let's talk about what's going on with me too. Let's share, you know, with each other, yada, yada. And long story short, like, I think I'm going to be the next Tony Robbins. So I run downstairs and there's like music in my head and I bust open the doors and there's one dude there. <laughs> there's like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember telling myself like, it's okay. You got one, you know, like, come on, little camper, you can do it. And uh, long story short, he was there because he had followed me from my fitness days. I used to run a gym. That was my life for years. I was an acupuncturist. And so about an hour into me, like vomiting everything masculinity that I know on him, he stops me and says, hey, man, I got to be honest with you. Like, I need to lose 15 pounds. And I thought maybe you could help me. And it was like, wah, wah. <laughs> I didn't know he was about to change my life forever. So here's the rest of the story. It comes out through a couple questions that he loves to go to McDonald's every morning and get their burrito and drink a cup of coffee. He's a cop. Uh, and then so I was basically like, okay, here's the deal. Never do that again. You're welcome. And end of meeting. And I went upstairs to hang out with my roommate, a fantastic guy named Adam Cobb. And 
we spent the evening like first i told him i was like oh, that was a waste of time i can't believe i did that i thought it was going to be so much better there's only one dude he just wanted weight loss advice and uh adam and i then spent the rest of the evening talking about some real shit like i remember we talked about our dads we talked about uh i think a pregnancy that had happened to him perhaps in high school like real stuff for about three hours um, and then we woke up the next morning. We, we were both fitness guys. It was like 5 a.m. I remember him getting me up and being like, we got to go work out. I was like, okay, okay. And I come stumbling out of my room, throw on shorts and about to leave to go downstairs to work out. And he goes, hey, question for you. When was the last time you ate McDonald's? You know, And I have like one eye open. I've been awake for like six and a half minutes uh, and just said, I don't know, man. I, I don't eat that shit. That's civilian food. And he actually pulled his phone out and started filming me and said, like, tell, what do you mean civilian food? Like, tell, tell me about this. What does it mean to be a civilian? And again, I've been awake for like seven minutes. So it's super honest. I was like, hey, take a look at this apartment. We don't have a television. We don't have alcohol. We don't have drugs. We spent last night like actually connecting over real shit, talking about pain, talking about disappointment, talking about trauma. And now we're also about to go get fucking savage on a weight pile like this is not how civilized quote men live there's a system in place that as a if you plug into the civilized system you will get spat out at the end of it and for a man it means i'm going to be 50 pounds overweight i'm going to be diabetic i'm going to have heart disease i'm probably going to be overworked i'm going to be addicted to one or two substances at least alcohol because that one's cool now weed probably also porn i may have a couple ex-wives if i do have a wife we're probably not connecting if i do have kids we're probably not really conversating i know that was a bit of a negative view but it also seemed very real and so I went downstairs and during the workout, that word was just stuck in my mind, right? I'm a writer. So if I get a word in my head, I'm screwed for the day. And it was just uncivilized, uncivilized, uncivilized. I just got chills. Uh, and so I came upstairs and that day did an Instagram post saying, hey, fellas, what if there's a different way to go about this? Like, I think I've solved the problem of the bottom of the article. How do we do this? We actually tap back into what's primal and what's traditional about us as men and masculinity. But man, does it need an upgrade? Does it need emotional intelligence? Does it need pain conversation? Does it need therapy? Does it need to acknowledge that the things that have happened to us in our past are still affecting us in our future? Right? Like we are suffering. And because of that, we are unleashing untold suffering onto the world. If you don't believe me, this is again in the middle of me too. Just open up any newspaper or social media post, and you're going to see case after case after case of some jackass doing something horrible. And I felt in that moment, like, I think I may have the solve for this, or at least I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I had no idea what it would turn into. I had no idea that I would be flooded with messages, with requests for speaking, with requests for writing. Uh, like my life changed that day forever. And mm -hmm. over the course of the next year, it became uncivil. It became a thing, it became a brand, it became a book. Now it's a international movement. It became workshops, courses, writings. You know, it's it's a whole deal. So good. So inspiring. So one powerful. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and I knew that we could talk just about this whole uncivilized 
thing yeah. the whole time. But thank you for sharing that. And I know when I heard you on a podcast or two, even mentioning that McDonald's piece, I never thought of it that way. But I think that is such a a great word to encompass what is sure we can generalize, but I think it's a safe generalization of everything you just said, because look around, I just was home in Missouri for a little bit. And especially in the Midwest, I feel like you're looking at what you just described. I mean, not just my backgrounds in wellness. So I definitely have an eye for unhealthiness, just period physical. And it's like, you cannot, if your body's not, so it's like, even just that McDonald's piece, totally. I get that. And you can't go do all this other stuff and not look also at what, like, are you going to McDonald's? So I just think in a real simple way too, I hope people out there, I know I got some guys listening and that's also why I wanted to have someone like you on here. And and I know just that alone. Yeah. Everything you just shared that could be, okay, we're done. Cause that could be enough already to really get some people listening and turned on and, and activated in that way. So, so good. And yeah. And even just for listeners, I do feel called to mention, I think I've said this in the last couple of my episodes that I felt this for some time. And as I share with you before we hit record, I've been feeling this maybe for around the me too. I hadn't thought of it till you just said that, but I'm like, yes. And like, I know that not every guy out there is doing that slash. I also don't fully understand how this is helping when we're just throwing blamey fingers out and not really, I wasn't hearing a lot of solutions either, which it was all very important. It was very, right. you know, yes. And and so through the years, whatever year that was, I was just like letting it kind of brew in me though. I'm like, something just didn't feel right. And you were able to articulate, you know, oh, because how are we going to actually have equality if we're still pushing things that are not equal? Like where we're just looking at, oh, well, the women get all this support and the men, the men are toxic. And then mm-hmm. to think of that word, you know, toxic mess, like that's such a yeah. toxic, really? So just, this is, I'm very passionate about this too. And I also have felt like, well, am I, I, I'm not the one to talk about this. So I'm grateful to, to now see there's this whole movement of men like you that are leading the way. And, um, so thank, thank you. you for that. Cause it is so needed. And yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more too, around just your background in the mindfulness that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you're an acupuncturist. And mm-hmm. I know you said before we started to just wanting to go deep with people anymore. And I think, cause I also was a person, I still am a personal trainer. I don't really use that, but I worked in the gym for years and there, there was always like that, that breaking point though, in the gym, or then once I would get to know people and we'd start talking about the deeper stuff, then like my yoga and meditation side would come in and the energy and the, the healing and that stuff. So I'd love to hear a little round, like your journey of, did it kind of start that same way of like physical? And then all of a sudden you were drawn to energy and acupuncture meditation, or was it something totally different? Yeah, I'd have to, you know, I don't have a concrete answer. Um, I was always obsessed with the martial arts as a kid. And so I think some of the perhaps mysticism and energetics around Qigong and Kung Fu and some of the more esoteric arts like planted the seed in my little, you know, white Connecticut brain that like maybe there's something more here. Um, But it wasn't really, you know, when I was in college for, I think it was my 20th or 21st birthday, my mom as a birthday present got me a weekend at a Zen monastery. And I had meditated, but like only because Chuck Norris did. Hmm. And so, and and that was probably for like five minutes, three times when I was 12. And I was like, I can't levitate. I can't like fireballs don't come out of my hands. This whole thing's bullshit. I'm done with it. And even that weekend, Rebecca, honestly, I remember like sneaking out and listening to the final four basketball series <laughs> with another dude at the, at the retreat. So it didn't grab me. But then when I was in acupuncture school, 
I met a woman named Kathy Sankey, and she was a, a both an acupuncturist and a Zen practitioner. And she would hold meditations at her house. Now, this would be at like 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., two or three times a week. And that's that's pretty early. And so I would get up at like five, take a shower, drive to her house. And like most people, I just needed some reps. And once I got some reps under my belt, I was like, man, I've been coming for three months. Uh, most people in my friend circle, I was a professional MMA fighter at the time. So my buddies are like, this is idiotic. Why are you doing this? But it grabbed me. And I didn't have the after effects. I didn't know. I just kept showing up and kept showing up and kept showing up. Uh, but it landed in me and it planted this, it planted a very deep seed. And so I created a daily practice and created a weekly practice. And then later on, which is a whole nother story, when I was getting divorced, uh, it was a lifesaver. I went, okay, for an hour a day, I will not hate myself, my circumstances, my ex, this life, what's happening to me. I won't be confused, scared, angry, unsure. I will just drop into, it sounds so cliche, but peace. And I knew if I could get an hour of peace a day, one, I'd live through it. And two, that that was replicable. Is that, the, is that a word? Like I could, mm -hmm. I could replicate that. And so it, it planted an even deeper seed of like, wait a minute, if I'm getting these benefits in the midst of the dark night of the soul, imagine what it's going to do when I'm actually okay, mm -hmm. when I'm out of you know the, the acute stages of this. And it just became this beautiful addition to my life that I still, I mean, I'm, I'm five feet from a meditation mat that I start my day every single morning. Mm -hmm. on. And as my life has gotten more public and more complex uh, and, and not more complicated per se, but more intense, like the more I, I crave it and the more I need it. And it's not just a tool so that I can do better and be better in meetings and make more money. It's like a sanity thing. Like, hey, if I want to play at this very big level on world stages, then one, I also know the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And so if I can sit my ass on that cushion for an hour a day, it will keep me humble. It will keep me grounded. It will keep me centered. And I've watched over the years as things that used to send me into a tailspin you know, for a week, an Instagram comment of someone telling me I was full of shit. Now I was like, okay, thanks. I'm, you know, I'm going to be back right here on the mat tomorrow. And I have hit a home run and, and we make a ton of money one month. And it's like, okay, still going to have to be back on the mat tomorrow dealing with myself. And so it's been this very humanizing, grounding, uh, but also beautiful practice. You, you asked about like another piece that I'll share. I ran a CrossFit gym for a number of years. So very intense training. Like we were producing competitive athletes. And I was training five, six days a week, multiple times a day and doing jujitsu and doing a lot of stuff. And I remember telling my business partner at the time, I want to run a meditation series here. And he was like, dude, no one's going to come to that. Like we are as type A aggressive and et cetera, as we can get. And I threw it out to the community. I was like, Hey, for the next six Sundays, I'd like to lead a meditation. Would anybody come? And we had a packed room mm. and I went, okay, there's something here. And, and when I would ask people, and I don't want this to sound arrogant, I'd say, like, well, why did you come? And they say, like, well, if you're endorsing it, 
then I'll come to it. And it, I didn't think it would be soft and spiritual bypassy and overly fluffy. And I was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to go to fucking war on that, Matt. I'm sorry if we're not allowed to. Um, no. Okay. You no, get that. Like I, that's how I positioned it. It was like, this is MMA and CrossFit for your mind for an hour on Sundays. We're going to, we're going to do some shit. We're going to go to battle. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. Like, are you up for the challenge? And I still know people, this is, you know, six, seven years later, uh, who have a meditation practice because of that six-week series. So anybody listening to this, uh, I know the name of your podcast, but if you're not in a regular practice, please please adopt one if you can. Yeah. No, it's so good. Yeah. So many good things in there. And thank you for sharing yeah. that. And I actually had the, you know, I just love the little moments in my days where then they pop up here where earlier I was remembering, I think I put a post up years ago and probably sent an email about this is what we train for. You know, we do all these whatever practices, not because like we're just doing them to do them. It's because then life is going to give us things where we need them. So like, yeah, like navigating those Instagram comments, navigating someone cutting off and like, but we train for those moments. We don't just train to train those. I think that people can get caught in the act of the thing, you know, and that's like part of the practice, but then yes, like what you said, there's just so many like benefits of why we, you know, do the reps in the things like meditation or jujitsu or CrossFit or whatever. Right. But like, what's the why there? Mm. Um, What are you finding in that? This is totally just, we're just going to flow here because I'd be like, probably go to like meditation. Then we're going to go back to like some kind of angry man stuff, you know, like go over here, (laughs) go over here and just kind of see what comes out. Sure, sure, sure. Um, But I'm curious because I'm not in this space, even though years ago, like way back, I lived in St. Louis. I'm like, I think I could lead broga, like bro yoga. And my, my teacher at the time who was a male, but he was very feminine. He's like, yeah, you do have a lot of like masculine. You could do that with the men, but I never did because part of me is like, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes guys need to learn from guys and they probably open up more from you. And even just the way you describe things, I'm like, yeah. And even with my partner, like I can totally see now like, whoa, there's just, we operate differently. So when, when dudes are coming in, well, first, the question I want to ask was, what are you seeing? Like, what's the biggest thing going on for men right now today? Just from what you've seen, is it childhood trauma? Is it just suffering Mm. from whatever? Is it lack of connection? Is it, you know, what is there? Is there like one top thing you keep seeing again and again with the men that are coming to your groups or courses or whatever? It's not one thing. I think what we've done is we've opened a bit of Pandora's box with social media by saying, oh, we've, we've, let me let me skew this in maybe a different way. What's required in the culture right now is men to evolve emotionally. If you want to be in a relationship in 2023, you cannot just be like, here's my paycheck. I didn't beat you. I don't drink too much. I'm going out to play poker with the boys twice a week. What could possibly be wrong? That's that's the old way. It doesn't work anymore. And so there's been this call and almost a pull for men to join the emotional intelligence space, let's call it. But it's not being not taught isn't the right word. It's like you just said, it's not being it's being presented as if it would be presented to women. And so a lot of guys don't get it or it doesn't land or they can't hear it. And so there's there's frustration about that. There's confusion around that. There's a, a a lot of confusion around what is my job now as a man? Like, what am I here for? For 30 years, so many men have heard, 40 years, we don't need you. 
we keep, and that was a big part of the culture, right? Like I grew up in a house with a framed, fo- a giant framed poster that said, uh, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Mm. And as a eight-year-old, I was like, uh, fish don't need bicycles. This is really confusing. Mm. And then became older and got it, just heard it over and over and over and over. We don't need men. We don't need men. We don't need men. And so a lot of men have given up. They've collapsed. They've been like, okay, cool. Nobody needs me. But we haven't said is actually we do need you, but it's for a different job. We don't quite need your paycheck. We don't need you to stand out front with a spear to protect everybody from a lion. We need your emotional intelligence. We need your heart. We need your capacity to hold space. We need your capacity to make a partner or your your neighbor or your family or your society actually fucking feel safe. Firstly, safe from you. That's the call and that's the confusion because a lot of guys are walking around being like, but I lift, I do jujitsu, I own three guns. How can I not be safe? And I'm like, bro, how are you the first time you get turned down for sex? How are you when you've had a couple beers and you get angry? How are you when you feel rejected? I mean, we can just look online. People's behavior online is is atrocious. Um so I think that's a lot of the male pain. And we've we've just opened the permission for men to go, oh, the shit that happened to you in your past is actually affecting you in your future. Or in, sorry, right now. But what we haven't done is then go, and here's the support to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so I see this, Rebecca, it is absolutely heartbreaking. And I say this with so much compassion for everybody in the room, but until you have held a man while he wails, Mm -hmm. like and screams because of the shit that he lived through, you don't get it. I'm sorry, people don't get it. When I hear the stories of these men's past, like, thank you. God bless you for not being a heroin addict or a serial killer. Because if that shit had happened to me, Uh, I don't know if I would be standing upright the way you are. And I don't have to go into the specifics, but you get it, right? We're just now realizing that little boys get sexually assaulted a lot, that young men get sexually assaulted, that men get sexually assaulted, that little boys get beaten and abused and neglected. And the answer up until about 10 years ago was, man the fuck up. Nobody cares. Get to work, right? And that's still, that's the challenge that's in the culture. I th- It wasn't my video, but I threw a video up almost accidentally on Facebook of a woman saying, who do you go to when you were at your lowest point, when you were downtrodden, when you were hurting? And it's, it's then the next 50 pieces of the video are guys going, no one, I'm a guy. No one fucking cares. No one will listen. That video has 7,000 comments on it. 7,000 right? So it's like, it's it's in the culture. I was in Ohio. <clears throat> this is a really good illustration. Like two months ago, I got brought in to do a corporate event at like a, a steel mill. So by corporate event, I mean, we had a hundred steel workers. These guys walked off the line in filthy overalls, covered in oil, covered in grease. And we're like, cool. Hi, we're your, we're your next hour of entertainment. Thank God. Like I have chewed up ears and my partner in this venture is a 225 pound tatted up ex-marine. So it was like, maybe we'll listen to you guys. And here was the first question we asked them. Close your eyes. How many of you in here feel anybody else in this room 
would take raise your hand if you think anybody else in this room would take your phone call at two o'clock in the morning if you were in trouble. And maybe 15 or 30 hands went up. Mm. That's it. Now, these are guys that have worked together for six months all the way to 30 years. Now, here's what was, I'll, I'll finish the story, but th this is what was fascinating. Of those 15 to 30 hands, I would say 80% of them were guys over 50. I did not think that would be the case. I thought it would be the younger guys. The younger guys were the ones who were like, nobody cares. Now, I said, keep your eyes closed so this isn't biased. Raise your hand if you would take any man in this room's phone call at 2 a.m. if he was in trouble. And every single hand went up. So we have a gap in the perception and the reality. The perception is no one gives a shit about me. That's societal. That's cultural. That's been passed down. The reality is 100% of the guys in the room would take someone else's phone call. So I think I've answered your question in a very long-winded, perhaps confusing way. Uh, but that's what's in the culture right now. That's what's seeking. We're saying, guys, you got to be emotional. You have to feel. You got to know what to do. You have to work on your trauma. How do I do that? Figure it the fuck out. Up, you're a man. You know, figure it out. Or find something, do a read a book. Like we don't, or or I know I'll probably get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyway. <clears throat> Most likely, what so many men have tried is I went to a female therapist and she didn't understand me. She didn't speak my language. She didn't, I, I don't get it. I don't want to go back. Therapy doesn't work. And so now where are they left to? Well, my buddies just say, like, drink, fuck, smoke my way through it. So I'll try that. Like we're competing with the collective unconsciousness that also says to men, this is all stupid. Don't do it. Nobody cares. Your trauma is irrelevant. We just want your output. And by the way, we don't need you until something bad happens. Then we need you. But the same skills and traits that we're going to use when we need you, we're going to call those toxic until we need you. Then they're great. Then they're going to go back to being toxic. Yeah. Totally. Yes. I mean, I about cried a few times as you're saying that because yeah. Ugh, like it's just been going on for so long. Like it's ingrained and it's, and again, thank you, God, God's all of you up there for invoking people like you, Traver, like to do this work because, ugh, like we're not going to get anywhere without it. Like right. all the problems, all the things people just want to point fingers at the problem without the solution. Yeah. Or it's still like this one sided solution or this very like, like just not equal solution to equality. Like it's very just confusing. So again, I just can't even thank you enough for your work and for sharing this stuff here. And yeah, thank because you. I have wanted to put voice to this and yes. Um, yeah. So much good stuff in there. So the other thing with guys, and we talked a little about your, the nice guy mm -hmm. and and I could see that if I kind of zoom, I'd zoom out a lot and like, like to look down at earth and like, look at the U S especially what I live and understand and look at the way people interact with each other mm. and look at the lessons, look at all the things and just kind of try to get this bird's eye view. And I do see this, like there's a spectrum to everything, you know, and there's a spectrum to feminism and female energy. And there's a spectrum to male, you know, healthy, there's wounded on each side, whatever terms you like to use. Like, I don't right. even care. Like, but it's like, what's the feeling at each end of the spectrum. And so, You've got this nice guy thing. And I want to hear more about, like you said, the capital N, like nice guy. 
But so I do see that though, as men, they're like taught to, well, open the door for women and do these things. Mm -hmm. And like, is that the nice guy? And then, but it's never really talking about or training men to have that emotional understanding of anything else. It's just like, do the nice things. Like, so is that the nice guy? And I, I really just am curious to hear more about, I know this is something really present for you. So like, what is this other almost end of the spectrum where we've got like the angry, wounded, traumatized men. And then I think for someone looking in like, or we've got the really nice guys that aren't really dealing with their stuff, but, but they're nice and they're good. They're so where is, am I honestly there? Or like, what is that exactly? Would you name it as a spectrum? And what is the nice guy to you? Okay, cool. Yeah. So when when I first wrote the book to the, the two prevailing paradigms that I could see were at the far left, let's call it this, the 1950s Marlboro man. And that is, that's very, everybody gets that. That's a guy that is stoic, that's isolated, that's alone, that's probably traumatized as hell and burying all of it. And is also terrified and most likely furious or rageful in some capacity at the feminine. Maybe not just women, but like anything weak, anything feminine is weak. Can't have that. Like we get that. That's on one end of the spectrum. On the full other end of the spectrum is this sensitive new age guy who actually is ashamed and afraid of his own masculinity, ashamed and afraid of his own power, ashamed and afraid of his own needs, wants, desires, potency in the world. He his, He's the guy that's like, well, if I can't join them, I can't beat them, I'll join them. Right, I can't get access to anything. I'll just become one of the girls. He is the guy that puts on on the surface this air of safety. Trust me, you can be. I tr- I'm not like them. It's that. It's literally in that sentence. I'm not like them. This is a guy who most likely didn't grow up with a strong male presence. Grew up, in my case, with a very angry and explosive female presence, and a collapsed male. So the idea, happy wife, happy life, it's that guy. Like upset the feminine and all hell breaks loose in the house is is that upbringing. Or it's the guy whose dad was abusive as hell, right? And was like, I'll never be like him. So we've thrown, (laughs) we've thrown the masculine baby out with the toxic bathwater is how I say it. That's that guy. However, that guy's dangerous as hell, Rebecca. Because you show me someone that I don't have any needs. I don't have any wants. I'm just here for the, the good of her. And to, it's, and I, I just need a little bit of, I won't say it, but like female validation is what I live and die for. That dude's slippery as hell. That the dude, that's the dude that's like, hey, come here, cry on my shoulder and tell me all about your boyfriend and what a dick he is. And by the way, here, have a drink. Right? It's the guy that's just waiting. And and any woman listening to this, like you know some of these guys. And guys listening, like you know these guys. The guy that's always trying to help, always volunteering, always there for them, always, 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 but won't put a stake in the ground. Right. In a in a romantic situation, it's not the guy that walks up and goes, Hey, you know what? I think you're beautiful. I think you're interesting. I'd really love to get your phone number. Can we go for coffee next week? It's the dude that's just always hanging around terrified of conflict, terrified terrified of risk, deathly afraid of abandonment. So he is the guy that originally, I, I imagine I just watched, like I can see women's heads nodding, that like for the first six weeks of your relationship, eight weeks of your relationship, like this is a dream. He does everything for me. He takes care of everything for me. We've never gotten in an argument. And then 
something happens. You cannot not have needs. You cannot avoid conflict for your entire life. You cannot not have a backbone. You cannot not have a stance on life. That stuff wears off pretty quickly. And then there is this seething rage inside of these guys. Imagine if you were the only way I could get validated and get my needs met. So I can need you. And on some level, that's going to make me hate you because you have all the power in the relationship. I can't source my own needs. I can't take care of myself. I can't nurture myself. I don't know what I want. Therefore, I'm not going and getting it. So it's all you. It's this was, And I, I'll raise my hand fully. This was my marriage. This was me and my marriage. I'm like, I, I want what you want, baby. No, I want all this other shit. I do. I just don't want to say that because if you say like, well, I don't like that stuff, then in my mind, you're gone the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that archetype. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. Yes. And I think that's this is really the covert relatable. contract, guys. If you yeah. know that term, this is the guy. And for any of you guys listening to this, this and it's just such a cliche example, but it's the dude who like cleans the house, walks the dog, mows the lawn, like what cleans out the fridge, mops the floors, and then waits for his wife to get home and is like two minutes later upset that she's not fucking him. Even though he didn't ask for it, didn't say anything. It's just like, how did she not bestow this upon me? Does she not see the yard? Does she not see the the trash is out? The the covert con the contract that you don't know about is that if I do all this stuff, you'll give me something that I won't ask for. And that is like the nice guy in a nutshell. That's how he interacts with the world. If I'm just nice enough and amiable enough and sweet enough, I'll get all my needs met. I'll get loved. I'll get taken care of. Yes. And I can't help but think too, and I get there's so much more to this masculine and feminine thing, which is why we're having this conversation. But I mean, I'm, I'm always have felt like I'm just kind of here for the people, like, you know, back to what is true equality. It's like, we're all just humans here, like strip away all the stuff, like at the soul level, we're just a bunch of souls hanging out. And so everything you just said, I'm also like, yeah, and it could be, you know, the nice girl. And so also for the females out there, right. It's like the the good good girl. girl. It's like, It goes both ways. This is all still the same energy and the same. I'm sure there's, we've got some different hormones and some different things. However, it's still like very relative to females too, right? Like, and I heard, yeah, I've learned that you mentioned earlier, like boys being abused, sexually abused. And I actually, uh, my partner, John and I, we we like watching Love is Blind. I don't know if you're a fan of the Netflix show, but um, I mean, it's one of those silly things, but there's a guy on there though. And he shares a story, you know, this is on a huge Netflix show around, when he was 17, I was friend took advantage of him and that's how we lost his virginity. Like, mm. and I was just telling John, I was excited to chat with you today. And I was like, yes, like this is finally being talked about a little bit. So I thought it was huge mm. that it was on this Netflix show. And it's like, yeah, it's time to talk about this stuff more because men are also getting yeah. abused. Men are also getting, you know, all the things. So again, yeah. zooming out, like when we're talking about equality, it's almost it's ignorant to believe that it's only like the me too is only for the women. And I get like statistics are showing certain things, but I'm just so in awe of the things also that have not been talked about around that, you know, the, the statistics with boys as well. And so I don't know, do you feel like things are on the upswing in that sense? Like are there's, I see a lot of embodied men doing the work you're doing so grateful for it. I can't help but think we're going to, we're going to feel this shift starting to happen, but do you sense that too? Or just in I general, do. the conversations are happening. Mm-hmm. 
right? There's this incredible uh, Instagram account called, I think it's the Tin Men. And mm-hmm. he just lists statistics. Hey, here are the actual domestic violence statistics straight from NIH. He's, he's in the UK. Here are the actual sexual assault statistics straight from government. Here are just statistics, statistics, statistics. And I interviewed a guy named uh, Richard Reeves who wrote um, Of Boys and Men. And he is a, a uh, God, it's, it's not a Fulbright scholar. He, he works for one of the top research institutes in the world. So when I interviewed him, I was like, do you get a lot of kickback when you're talking about statistics about education, fatherhood, et cetera, mental health with men? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm a statistician. I'm literally just presenting the facts. And so finally, the facts are coming out, Rebecca, but we're still in this giant uphill battle. Like we're facing a, a Mount Everest in the culture. And that's from both men and women who say, like, no, 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 this can't be true. We, you are the perpetrators. We are the perpetrated. And we, until we get past this, us versus them, you have it harder than we do. No, we have it harder than we do. You do. Here's my facts. Here's your blah, 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 blah. Until we realize, hey, we have it hard. We have it hard differently, but we each have our own challenges here. Can we have empathy? Can we have compassion? Can we have understanding for like, get rid of the damn teams, Right, I've put put facts out about murder rates, assault rates of men on men, and gotten people kicking back saying, "Yeah, but it's men assaulting you guys, so it's your team." I'm like, well, tell that to the dude who just got the shit beaten out of him. He doesn't give it. He doesn't care. It's like he wants that to stop. I want that to stop. So yes, it's like the the ball has just started rolling. You know, yeah. I, I I don't want to use CrossFit as a pure example, but when I first opened my gym. 12 years ago, I had to explain to everybody what this crazy thing was, why people were running around the block and and carrying medicine, yada, yada, yada. Four years later, everybody was approaching me. Hey, I know what this is and I want it. Five years ago, when I was talking about men's work, it was like, wait a minute, are you guys sitting in the woods naked doing a drum circle? And I was like, I guess some people maybe, but (laughs) we aren't. Uh, And now it's kind of, oh, oh, I've heard of this. It's not in the collective yet where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm in men's work. People are like, Whoop, what's that? Mm-hmm. But what five, six years ago, it was, uh, again, fuck you. Why aren't you working with women? We're the real issue. We're the victims here. Why aren't you trying to shift it that way? But what was interesting five, six years ago was my DMS would light up from women saying, thank you. I can't say this publicly. I have a son, I have a brother, I have a husband who's struggling, but if I support you publicly, I will get annihilated by my female friends. And now that doesn't seem as prevalent. You know, when when we shifted and this this hit me, I think 2 years ago, uh not just away from primal and divine, like that was the core of the movement, but when the first time I said out loud, I was trying to explain to someone what we do. And like, ah, I kind of get it, like primal divine. I get, I get it. Like you have, you have workshops, you do the thing. And I was like, here's the deal. I want to end the unnecessary suffering in men so that we end the suffering caused by men. And the room went quiet. And people were like, okay, I know, I know what you do now. And so we, I think we also had to sell it as, do you know why we're doing this? You know why we're all getting together for five days in the weekend and, and letting guys cry and punch pillows and scream and do the things that we need to do so they don't come home and fucking rape somebody. 
so they don't get drunk and beat the shit out of their wives. So they don't do all the horrible shit that we as a society say we actually want to stop, but we aren't willing to address the root of it or the major root of it, right? I get they're psychopaths, they're sociopaths, there's, there's like the outliers, but the bulk of men who are doing terrible things are traumatized as hell. And that's a real hard shift for society to say. Like, but, but what, but they're men, but you know, they just need to get over it or, but it doesn't matter. They should do their own work. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to facilitate that work. Right. And it is happening. I can't tell you how many guys now reach out themselves. Be like, thank you. I'm doing the work. Thank you. I got sober because of your podcast. Thank you. I'm actually in like my fourth week of therapy. Thank you. I realized that like I was addicted to this stuff because, and then they'll share. You know, and I don't want mm -hmm. to go down a, a morbid rabbit hole here, but the things they share, I'm just like, okay, I get yeah. it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I get why you drink too much. I would too. You know what? I get why you're addicted to porn. I get that. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for, for being honest with me. And, and honestly, thank you for trying to handle it in the, the messed up way that you were as opposed to beating the shit out of people and shooting up schools and assaulting children or whatever it is. Thank you for, you know, drinking a little bit too much on the weekends and being on Pornhub. Right. Uh, yeah. Earlier I jotted down victim and it's just like until men and women figure out how to not play the role of the victim, like women included here, like in just in general, like there's, if there's anything I learned from, you know, I, I study trauma healing, somatic experiencing, and and I'm looking at everyone as a body with energy, and mm. and I find that as a gift that I have too. And then I also recognize there's not everyone's one ready for that level of feeling into their body, and that even just cognitive things, which would be more male oriented or female oriented, like that can be such a good place to start for people. And if I learn anything from not even somatic work, but just the whole drama triangle, like if there's drama, there's a triangle of victim, persecutor, fixer, you know, and the only way to fix the drama is to get off the triangle. And that in re involves or re requires awareness and to say, I am playing victim, I'm going to get off this. And so I think too, what I felt all these years was there was just like this energy of victimhood for all the right reasons. Yes. For women, you know, the Me Too, right? There's all the things, but the only way we can actually fix it, heal it, resolve it is to stop playing victim, everyone, like male, female, whatever. Mm. So I'm grateful that I think that's slowly happening. But yeah, like you said, kind of uphill. It's it's not just like any of these things we're trying to uproot and figure out how do we heal and make the planet a better place. It's going to get gnarly at first because yeah, we're just sure. cracking open these things that have been festering for decades or however long. I don't even know how far back right, some of these right, things right. go. So, yeah, all of it. Oh, well, I really wanted to talk about the dark room. Maybe we'll sneak that in before we get off here. Sure. But you have your own tools and things that you've, you've mentioned meditation. You mentioned the MMA. And so what are some other practices that you have slash where did this dark room calling you've spent mm. some time in a dark room? Could you give the maybe brief summary of, you know, why that and where does it fit into mm. what you were trying to, you know, accomplish, heal, feel, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah so th this is a, there's something called a dark retreat, which is a period of time where someone will be alone in a space with zero light. And 
think about that. Like no light, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. And people always ask me, like, did your eyes adjust? No, there's zero light. And this is a, this presented to me, I was doing something, a year-long project after my life fell apart called the Year to Live Project. And it was my deep dive into what would I do if it was my last year alive? And not as a like cocktail party conversation, but a full like head first, I'm going for it for 12 months. Uh, I was at a unique place where I said I just gotten divorced and I had a paycheck coming in. So I could explore different things. And I was at a men's workshop, one of the first ones I ever did, and was telling a guy about my year-long project. And he said, oh, if you really want to understand death without dying, you have to do a dark retreat. And I was like, cool, what the hell is a dark retreat? And he explained it to me. And this man, Rebecca, had done 180 days over the course of like a number of sessions. So it wasn't just 180 days straight. The longest they'll let you do it is 49 days. Uh, and I, I asked him about his experience and, and this is kind of psychopathic, but this is what sold me. He was like, yeah, the first time I did it, I was going to do 49 days. And at like day 40, they pulled me out because I was bleeding from like my eyes, ears and nose. And I was like, oh shit, what happened? And he said, well, it was in Tibet and Tibetans told him that he had gone so deep into a meditation that he had experienced demons. And I was like, bro. Did you experience demons? <laughs> he goes, no, I think I had food poisoning, but it was really intense. <laughs> so I was like, sign me up. I got to do this. Oh and so I found this facility in Guatemala in an ashram that would that had a dark space, and you know, three times a day food is brought, so it's not like you have to take care of anything. And I wanted to go see what was underneath everything. So I was in hell. My ex-wife had lost a pregnancy. Then we'd immediately gotten divorced. My business partnership had fallen apart. Everything that I knew to be true prior to that year in like a month was no longer true. So I said, okay, I don't know what's, this is rock bottom. Let's peek underneath it. Let's peel a couple layers back and go, cool. What's, what's rock bottom like with no light, with no music, with no books, with no distractions, with no humans? And let's make it long enough that I can't white knuckle it. And so I picked a month. Uh, and I remember talking to the owners of the ashram and they're like, we don't recommend this. Uh, please don't do more than a week. And I said, I have a meditation practice and I think I can do it. And I'd like to do it. I want to, I want to go long. And I didn't know until I came out and had conversations with them a week or two later that they said they were waiting to meet me in person to decide whether they'd let me actually do a month. And after sitting down with me for an hour, so like to themselves was like, okay, we'll let them do it and see what happens. Oh. And so it is a mind bending experience in every capacity. And I can dive into any element of it uh, that you'd like, but think about it, right? It's, it's a long fucking time with nothing to do. Like literally, there's nothing to do. You can eat, go to the bathroom, take a shower, and meditate. And this was this room to give you some context was concrete. So my furniture was a yoga mat for a month. Like that was my comfort. There was a, a, a wooden stool to meditate on. 
And at one point I asked for some like little triangle cushions to put under my knees when I was sitting on that. And that was it. There was mm-hmm. a, a foam mattress up in a loft that was horrible. So I couldn't sleep at night because my hips would fall asleep. And the way the facility was designed, it was about the size of a bathroom, but it was a cone. And so the bed was up against the wall of the cone. So I couldn't turn over to my right or I'd hit my head on the side of the mm-hmm. cone. And so it was very miserable. And I didn't know till later, it was, it was like that by design. It wasn't supposed to be a month vacation. It was supposed to be a tussle with everything that was underneath any distraction you can possibly imagine. I mean, it sounds to me like death in a, were, in a symbolic yeah. way, right? Like, yeah. And most people I know that have done it, it's like, it's like that's a very long time. So, was there a part of that was just because, like, what you shared, your life was at such a low point? Did you feel like, let me just go deep? Like, why now in hindsight, did you need that extra time? Do you think? I, I knew I could like bear it for, mm-hmm. for a certain period of time. I was like, I will do squats, push ups, burpees, meditate for a week, and I'll be fine. I I don't want this to sound mm-hmm. masochistic. I didn't want it to break me, but I wanted to not be able to do it easily. Yeah. And and I knew it would it would it would it would break me. I wanted it to break my consciousness. Uh and it took about 8 days. 8 days I was good and then I fell apart. I had a dream on the 8th night that I was walking down a beach with my ex-wife and the child that we had lost. And I went, okay, I just started screaming and trying to punch holes in the wall. And it was like, that was the fall. And that's what let the room and the darkness take over mm-hmm. and excavate me. And to your point, it was probably day 24, 25 that I was so messed up because I couldn't sleep. My rhythms are all off. Like I'm going through hell. I cried on the floor for a couple of days after that dream. Like I was, it was insane and thought I actually may be dead. And that was a very confusing 48 hours. I would touch my face and be like, well, they're still bringing me food. So if I'm eating, I'm alive. But maybe this is just a dream. This is what death is. This is the dream of death. It was so confusing and so disheartening. And on a very real level, uh, it was liberating. Because I remember thinking after that, coming out of it, be like, okay, I'm still alive. Uh, thinking that is what death is. At some point in the next 40 years, I was 40 years old when I did it, 40 to 50 years, I'm going to be in a pitch black room in a pitch black box or in an urn. Like, And and guess what? Life's going to go on. People will forget about me. People will celebrate me for a week. And then, you know, like, do you think of your great, great grandparents? I don't. Like maybe my books will last. I didn't, I hadn't written anything at the time. Uh, it was so freeing to go, when I come out of this room, I'm going to write the way I want to write. I'm going to speak the way I want to speak. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fuck the way I want to fight. I'm going to do everything the way I want to do it. Because guess what? In 40 years, the, the slate gets wiped clean, whether I hit home runs or fall on my face. So it was very, it was so much permission. It actually, and I've thought about this for years, Rebecca, it's such an interesting thing. Uh, I had a conversation with a guy a month ago And I said, I have a different relationship since leaving that room with death because it actually made it tangible. Mm -hmm. I didn't die in there. Like, you know, my heart rate was fine. But 
for most people, if we say, hey, do you know you're going to die? Like, yeah, of course. Like cognitively and intellectually, we know that. Unless AI takes over and we all live to be 500 or kills us next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it went from cognitive to somatic. I was like, you know what? I actually do know I'm going to die. And I live my life now with an urgency that like it, it confuses people. Where I'm like, hey, I get you. I, you know why you're still fucking around here? You don't get that you're going to die. And it, it removed a lot of judgment. Like I see people and like, you know what? I'm a great practitioner because like, you know what? I get you. I feel you. Uh, I, can, I can feel your fear of death three minutes into a conversation and you would swear to my face that you have none. Or you don't even think about it. So it's it did something to me that I'm still unraveling five, six years later, but it was a profound experience. Sounds like it. And I, I'm guessing in that conversation you had with the ashram folks there, like there's no way a, a person without the awareness from meditation, self-awareness that you had, I think that like I could see where they would have a lot of red flags around someone wanting to just, I'm going to do this because one month is better than one week, you know, or yeah. whatever. And yeah. so without the groundwork you already had within you, I yeah. don't, I get why they wouldn't want someone to do that. But for you to have that and thank you for describing why you knew you could do it. And, and just to get to that point that you knew a week, I mean, that self-honesty, because so many people probably do go through it and they do exactly what you said. They hit that seventh day. That wasn't that bad. Yeah. But to actually get to that deeper part that a part of you, it sounds like, was just sensing, craving, whatever, needing, you followed that intuitive feeling. Yeah, I but wanted the you, intensity. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was fascinating when I came out. I didn't know I was allowed to ask for people to come be with me. <laughs> and they told me I was the first person they'd had that made it past three days without asking for support. Mm. And at the 15th day, uh, they had to come give me more water. It was like a big, you know, five gallon, whatever water jug in the room that I could feel and pour water out of. And I, I rocked it and knew it was getting empty. So I wrote, I had like a pen and paper that I, I think I just wrote water and shoved it in the food mailbox. Um, and they told me the procedure, like I would put on a very heavy mask and, and, be blindfolded three or four times. <clears throat> they would come in, they would change the water and they would leave. And there was a couple that ran this place. And so I remember them knocking on the door and I had, I opened my side of the door. They had a, a door that opened out and the guy came in, took the water out, replaced it. And his wife, this amazing, amazing woman named Arpita sat down with me. And this is going to me up to tell you, uh, and and she just grabbed my hand and she said, how are you doing? And it was like a terrifying question because I've spent 15 days like mourning a, a child I'll never get to meet, mourning a divorce that I don't want, mourning the loss of a business that I spent six years building and doing it alone completely, completely alone, like no hugs, no hand, no nothing. And so to hold a human hand, uh, I was at such a loss for words. I just said like, this is so hard. And, and that was it. And she said, you know, I, it was beautiful. She said, you can do this. Uh, and by the way, check in the corner when, when we leave. And then she was gone. And what I did was, was like, what does she say? And I remember being kind of fucked up, 
but I crawled to the corner and they had left me a bowl of vegan ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ate it and I could feel her hand for like four or five hours later. I could feel the electricity of touch. Uh, but to be perfectly honest with you, the next day I fell in probably the second deepest hole I'd been in because I realized I'm just halfway and I will not be touched again. I will not be spoken to again. I will not be in connection with a human for two more weeks. And it just felt like eternity. Mm. It felt like forever. Mm. And so it also just reminded me of the, the potency of like a single question, you know, how are you? and how powerful that is. Yeah, it was it's it's crazy. It's it's the whole thing is crazy. It's in in hindsight looking back um it was it was such an initiation. Sounds like it. Well, it makes me like think and feel so many things including like how you worded that where they said, "Wow, most people have like asked for support and that's such a huge thing I ask people, you know, and focus on of like asking for support when you need it and that's a whole other thing to get into too and yeah. Whether it's like even just that reflection of like, whoa, and then we're supporting then to feel the receiving of such beautiful support, like real. And just also when we move through our days, something that I very much a pet peeve of mine is though real quick, like, hey, how you doing? And someone turns their head before you can even answer just those like mm-hmm. people to have all those phrases, but especially like a how are you? But like mm-hmm. when it's so genuine and someone right. is actually asking you, how are you? Yeah. And even just within yourself, asking yourself, how am I? Like, it's such a simple, but so powerful experience. And just the beauty in that too, of even just, you know, walking through our days and realizing some people have been living, quote, unquote, you know, in the dark room of their life. Mm-hmm. And they have not had that simple human touch or eye contact. You didn't have eye contact, but that you felt how genuine her, her ask yeah. was. Yeah, that connection of how are you? And how that can change so much for someone. Um, yeah. I feel like we need a, a part two to this dark room. And but yeah. let's we'll kind of tie this up, but I know sure. we could just keep going. But that all being said, if people are like, wait a second. So you do have word on the street as a book around this experience, right? I'm just starting to write it. Okay. Um, neat. Um, it's it's a sad entryway, but my uh my cousin committed suicide about six months wow. ago. And my age wife and two kids. And I, I sat with it and I grappled with it and I couldn't figure it out. It was, it was heartbreaking because of what I do in the world to know that my number is in his phone and this was still the choice that he made. And I understand mental illness and I understand logically all the things, but I was sitting at my kitchen table with it and got the whoosh of like, okay, you need to talk about the dark. He mm. was in darkness for so yeah. long and couldn't come out of it. And, um, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people are, and I know this story and, and some easy methods or some simplistic perhaps tools will, will help people. So we don't get training on how to navigate the dark times, right? The the day my ex-wife left, I quit drinking because I I had a sense like, this is not what I want to be doing right now. This is not going to help me get through this. Uh, and yet I know so many people that when the challenge comes, that is what they reach to because that is the, those are the tools that we present to people societally. Hey, you're in a tough time. Here's some Zoloft and I'm not knocking the, the real need for, for pharmaceuticals or here's alcohol, here's weed, here's porn, here's sex, here's lying, here's cheating, here's 
all the, all the, like this is, these are civilized tools for your challenge as opposed to like, can you hold yourself and sit in it? Can you invite people to sit next to you? Can you have someone come hold your hand and ask you, how are you really? Do you even know that you're allowed to do that? Right. And it's not, it's not just for men. I will speak to men, but I know there's equal numbers of women who are in the same scenario. Uh, and I, I feel like it's the call for the times. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yes. And you don't need to apologize for your tears. Yeah. Let those feelings be felt. Yeah. And, oh, the book is going to be life-changing, of course, but for real, just knowing now a little bit more of your backstory and your personal connection, like when something is coming to life from that, mm. like look out in the best way of saying look out, yeah. you know? So thank you for answering that download of it's time. And also what a great reminder of trusting your timing. This was seven years ago now, right? And we just, like anyone listening to, you never know, you might have that next book in you. It just has yet to be written sort of thing. And really tapping into, this is actually a nice segue into the question I do ask everybody, but tapping into that party that can open up to receiving those sorts of downloads and that like whoosh, as you said, like coming through you of like, this is what, this is what needs to happen. But I do ask everyone you know, mindfulness, like in, in a simple, cause of course the whole thing we're talking about could be the answer to this question, but why is mindfulness important? If you were to just say like a statement, you know, a bumper sticker, like modern mindfulness here, why is mindfulness important? However you translate the word like now in our modern times. I think now more than ever, because the, the force of distraction is, it's it's like the I'm a, a Star Wars dork. It's like the dark side, right? It's like it's like the the evil empire of social media and distraction, 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 distraction. We are constantly pulled out of the beauty and the the rapture and the gorgeousness of the present moment. When we do this in relationship, we sit next to our partners. It, it, I see this in restaurants, families of five on their phone. Right? or people staring off in different corners as opposed to looking at each other. We are so disconnected from our bodies. And if we're disconnected from our bodies, we can't fill our hearts. We can't fill our hearts. We can't fill our souls. And this, the call of now is you need to feel your soul. Mm. That is the call. That is the only way we as a culture, we as a society, we as a species get through the fuckery that we're dealing with right now. We have to put our hands on our stomachs and go, this doesn't work for me anymore. I'm sorry. I won't eat shitty food. I won't have surface level relationships. I won't lock myself in a box for 18 hours a day to earn money to buy shit that I don't really want all in the name of, of social capital. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is the actual pause button on the frantic hamster wheel that so many people find themselves existing within for years and decades it's going bro hit the pause button now take a look around how do you feel really until you can answer that question you you need we need mindfulness it is the medicine of the day hmm. yes beautiful answer thank you thank you yes here here all the like yes hands up praising everything you just said in that statement and the whole conversation today. So yes, you're welcome. And you've got your own incredible podcast. You've got so many awesome things that you offer. Obviously I'm going to put all in the show 
notes, but is there anything you'd like to share with the audience, ways to find you, your favorite ways or preferred ways to reach out? What do you have that you're stoked on? Yeah. Read Man Uncivilized, male or female. Uh, The first thousand copies were primarily bought by women. And the feedback I got was, thank you so much. I understand men now. And then we started getting, they started giving it out to, to men. And that's how we had uh, a male following. So it's available on Amazon. I read it on Audible. Um, that's probably the best place. If you please, I'm on Instagram at Traver Boehm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. If something in this podcast landed for you, please message me. I love hearing back of like what specifically landed. And yeah, check out the podcast. It's the Uncivilized Podcast. And keep your eye on a book about darkness not sure when it's coming out, but I'm going to be writing the hell out of it for the next six months. That's awesome. Oh, so good. Well, I can't wait. And thank Thank you you. again, listeners. Thank you, Traver. It's just an honor to have met you here. And um, yeah, I'm so glad our paths crossed officially and hopefully more to come. I know that I feel like our conversation is just getting started here. Uh I'd love to come back. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll arrange that for sure. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll check you again. Bye.